Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and straight off the World Championship commentary over there in Germany, Jensi, we got a great guest today. Um, I'm really bad at pronouncing her name, so I'm going to give it a shot, and then you give it a shot. So Lizzie Dagnan joins us today. Was that right? Is that close? Well, yeah, I believe uh, Lizzie uh, Dagnan is gonna uh, joining is gonna be joining our podcast in a second well i mean we all had a great weekend watching the race um any highlights for you over there in germany Enzi? well it didn't work out fast germans too well we had two guys crashing out and uh, none in the final but what a great and worthy world champion julian alaphilippe is racing with the number one on the back and just making the race his own. So it was fantastic to see him. Um, I believe that that probably was my highlight to see how how his team was so loyal, how they all sacrificed. I mean, they started to make the race super hard with like some hundred miles out, like a long, long way to go. It was fascinating to see how unified they were as a team and they went all in for the leader and he pulled it off. That was a pretty fantastic race to watch. I tell you, all the races were fantastic. I mean, you know, uh, Bobby and Jens alumni, Magnus Bagstedt, watching his daughter Zoe win the junior women's race. Um, and then seeing the video afterwards, because I, I texted him and I said, man, I need to go back and find that audio and video of you trying to commentate. And, and I found it and he told me that he muted himself and he just sat there and just sucked it all in and man, you know, the women's race, the junior races, the under 23 races, they, they were all fantastic. But today we have Lizzie Dagnan on our podcast. Um, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that again, Lizzie. Um, you tried coaching me through it, but um, I just don't have that, that chip in my brain today to, to pronounce your name correctly. But Lizzie has been around the sport of women's cycling for a very, very long time. She's been world champion, Commonwealth champion, and she's also won many, many races during her career. We really wanted to talk to her about her fresh perspective coming off the World Championships and looking forward to Peru Bay. But there's a lot of really other interesting stuff that she has to say. So please sit back and enjoy our interview with Lizzie. Okay, today we have another great guest, fresh off the World Championship Road Race in Flanders, Mrs. Lizzie Dagnan. Lizzie, I'm sorry, I probably just butchered your name. So would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, you weren't too bad. I've heard worse. It's Lizzie Dagnan. That's what I said, right, Yenzi? Absolutely, my friend. 100%. <laughs> I'm behind you. <laughs> well, hey, listen, first off... Um, Thank you so much for joining us so close after the the World Championships. And that's that's just got to be my my introductory question, because watching it on TV over here in the States, it looked amazing. Give us a little bit of inside info on what that race was like. And the 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 crowds just seemed amazing. But uh, maybe give us a little rundown of how the worlds went for you. Um, yeah, it was. It was phenomenal. I think it was even more special post-pandemic you know to see so many people out and enjoying bike riding and being close together and um 
cheering and just getting so involved like Leuven was an incredible place to host the world championships um and I feel grateful that I was there I think um I would have preferred a better performance personally but um I guess every bike rider says that when they don't win the world championships so um you know I'm lucky enough to say I've done it once and um I'll keep trying to do it again and I mean explain to our listeners a little bit um the women had 160 kilometers, just under four hours, great ambiance, hard parkour, everybody gunning for the win. But I read somewhere that you mentioned that you felt like you were legless. And that's that, that, that just caught my attention because through a race that long and that hard, you kind of go through these different periods in that mental mindset, right? Like you're like, oh man, I'm really good. Oh gosh, maybe I'm not there. How was the, how how can you explain or put into words that feeling of leglessness? I think the World Championships is always an interesting race. It's always such a mental race because it's at the end of a long season and it's about everyone managing fatigue or their form. Um, and I knew going into it that I've had a long season and potentially I wasn't going to be on my A game. So it was about making the best of the the legs that I had basically. So. I knew it was going to be more of a mental battle. Um, and I think mentally I did a really good job. I put myself in really good positions um, until a lap to go where unfortunately um, I had kind of a small collision with a girl and had to unclip, which left me chasing. Um, and with a lap to go, if you're chasing, there's just no coming back. And when, when the sprint went, I got out of the saddle and sat back down again. And that was really just describing leglessness. Like you, you don't give up on it until you're in the moment because you just don't know how much legs anyone else has got in that final. It's not really about who's fastest anymore at the end of a race like that. And um, yeah, I stood up and unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty legless and sat back down. So now you have these uh, four hours of tough racing in your legs. You got Perry Robey for the first time ever coming up. How are you going into that? Are you feel ready for it? Are you like keen? You're 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 like this is the best ever to for me, or you go, oh my god, I'm a little nervous about it. What's your emotions about Robey the first time, and and what's your plans? Do you know I was really nervous going into the World Championships, um, but for Robey, I'm really excited. I just can't wait to race. I think it's going to be carnage. It's going to be wet. It's going to be slippery. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of crashes. Um, so I think it's about being prepared for that and not being scared of it. Um, I figure I'll bounce <laughs> and just get back up again and keep going. I think it's one of those races where you really can't um, give up until the finish line because you just don't know what kind of bad luck is going to hit the riders ahead of you, even if you've just experienced some bad luck. So I'm really excited about the kind of the battlefield aspect of it. Um, we don't really have um, that many races on our calendar that are like that other than things like Flanders. So that's one of my favorite races. So um, for that reason, I'm excited about Roubaix. Well, um, I only did it twice, finished once. Let me tell you, you, re you will remember my words Saturday evening. This is going to be the closest you ever come to be like a gladiator in the <laughs> arena. You will set it in as you go, oh my God, this stupid German, he was right. <laughs> it was like, you know, just a battle for life and death. So fingers crossed. I'm excited to watch it. I'm actually be commentating on it. Yeah, I think it's going to be phenomenal, like you say. And I think 
again just post-pandemic uh situation you know we've just not had crowds and it's people are hungry to get out and enjoy sport and it's nice to be in the center of that and coming from a guy that has done zero Paris-Roubaix I wouldn't know anything about the the preparation outside of your physical condition um obviously worked on some teams with some of the riders having Perry Roubaix as an objective. So you kind of understand, but what have you done outside of, you know, the physical conditioning? Have you gone up and recon the course? Do you have a different bike? Do you know what kind of size tires you're going to use? Or is it just kind of like, Hey, let's see how this goes. I'm definitely one of those riders who trust the people around me in terms of mechanics. Um, I'm definitely not uh, a geek. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I trust the people around me in terms of the tire pressure, et cetera. We've done recons and I know what feels comfortable. I know I'll run pretty low pressure, obviously. Um, but I also trust the people around me. Like we have the Trek Segafredo men's team, which I think is an advantage because they've obviously done, you know, so many races and so many recons. Um, but for me, actually, we did this recon and I was obviously really nervous about the cobbles and was expecting them to be this huge challenge. But we did it on a Damani bike, this, you know, special Trek bike. And it was unbelievable. It was actually easier to ride the Roubaix cobbles on a Damani bike than it is to ride the Flanders cobbles on a normal bike. So I was quite surprised by just the difference. I think, you know, Roubaix is kind of this iconic race because of the tradition of, you know, seeing riders with blisters all over their hands and et cetera. But in modern cycling, we have such an advantage with the equipment and um yeah we we are one of the teams that has a special bike so we better use that advantage to you know well you kind of mentioned you know the difference between racing during the pandemic and racing now um you know you had an amazing season last year you won a lot of races when during a very special time for for everyone what do you think you did correctly during that pandemic period to, to allow yourself to be so successful. And because of the way the races were kind of like loaded at the end of the year, do you think that affected your freshness going into this season or was it just like another year? No, it, it definitely feels a bit like, uh, I have a hangover from last season, <laughs> um, because we didn't, we, like you say, last year was very intense mentally and physically. Um, and it kind of got all pushed towards the back end of the season and off season. There was no off season. We were straight back into training camps and it was an Olympic year and all the external pressure that comes with that and making selections. So it's been quite heavy in terms of managing fatigue. And also you don't really, we've never done that before. Um, so you make mistakes along the way and you can't really, you know, if you if you make mistakes in a normal season, you you take stock and you, you learn from it and you go on. But we've never really had a rollover season before where I've raced so much back to back. So um, if I was to do my winter again, I would do it differently this year's winter. But um, I suppose you always say that if you if you didn't win as many races as you want to. So, um, yeah, I mean. I think for everyone, it, the pandemic, it, like bike rider or not, it's it's been a different challenge for everybody. And some people have loved it and some people um, 
I found it more difficult. I mean, in terms of the pandemic year, I think the reason I raced so well was because I'm generally quite a relaxed person, um, go with the flow and don't get too worried about things that I can't control. So I think that was part of the advantage last year. Um, but then this year, I've, I have felt a bit tired, I would say, from it all. Yeah. So then, um, is Robé your last race? Because it's getting late in the season and you talked about not having an off-season last year. Are you going to have, like, going to make up for it this year? Going to have a longer off-season, take some time off the bike and then slowly go back into it? Or what's next after Robé? Uh, after Robé, we have the women's tour in the UK. Uh, so a six-day stage race, which is going to be pretty tough going. Um But I'm excited about that too because it's a really important race on our calendar and it instead of getting cancelled it's been postponed and I think that's really important because it's kind of gained a bit of prestige over the last few years it's an important stage race so I'm, I'm pleased that we're doing it um, and then after that that's when I'll start my rest period. And, and talking about that race um, you know it being postponed and whatnot um, you know We read recently that they've decided not to televise that event. Um, you know, I know you've been in this sport for a long time. You've seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But, like, what what is your take on, on that? Do you think it'll affect the racing? Or, I mean, I see it as a negative thing, uh, them not being able to to televise that or not able to televise that. But what is what is your opinion and some of the opinion of the other women Uh, with the news that this isn't going to be uh, broadcast live on TV? It's, I mean, it is obviously disappointing, but I think it's always tricky when you're asked for like critical comments of a, an organizer, really, because without organizations, we wouldn't have bike races. And I, I genuinely think that they've done their absolute best to, um, to put on the best race that they can. Um, and I think it has been a challenging time in the UK. Um, the pandemic has hit hard and there's been a lot of cancellations. So for the race to survive, I think, is the main thing this year and potentially be more critical next year if the TV coverage hasn't returned. But this year, I think it's just important that we get to race. And um, talking racing and going to Roubaix, um, you know, a lot of Belgium teams there. Um trying to get the connection to Patrick Lefebvre <laughs> and uh, that uh, Twitter um, uh, um, chat you had with him. Yeah. Um, so what's what's the latest news on, on that one? I was, I'm still not invited to, to Quick Step team launch. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean... That's again one of those things. I was asked, you're asked by journalists all the time, you know, in a press conference, pre world championships, loads of questions. And of course, the only question that comes out is the one regarding Patrick. But to be honest, I didn't really want to give him any um, more airtime. I just, you know, he's, he's been talking a lot of nonsense recently. And I just thought, oh gosh, I don't want to add any fuel to that fire. But I was asked the question and I answered it directly. And It's true. I mean, we do, you know, we aren't a charity. We're not interested in people doing it for the wrong reasons. There are enough people who are interested for the right reasons in women's cycling. So we're, we're definitely better off without him. I, I think that was the best response to an answer of a, of a difficult question ever, you know, a comment from, from somebody ever. So I applaud you for that. You know, obviously, You have been around the sport for a while. You hold a, a lot of 
respect uh, from all around the world, from your compatriots and everything. And, and talking about respect and talking about end of the season, uh, one of the, the biggest things is that one of the you know premier female athletes of all time, Anna Vanderbregen, is announcing her retirement. Um, her, Ruth Winder, uh, quite a few other uh, ladies of your generation. I mean, you raced with Anna for a very, very long time. Yeah. Give us a little summation about how she was as a cyclist and the competitive nature that you guys had, because I mean, world championships, you know, you're fighting in the Olympics. Um, when, when, when somebody your age or basically your age, um, starts to, you know, move on, um, what, what are you thinking? And then again, like, give us a little in, in introspective into what she was like as an athlete. Yeah, it is interesting. I guess every, every athlete's different and has their own reasons for retirement. And she was all in, always. She was 100% committed. And um, I mean, we all are, but she always did everything to 100% on training camps. Um, she was very calm, like unusually. Before big races, you wouldn't ever see her stressed. Um even in the in the race, she kind of has this kind of mask on and you're not really sure is she suffering or not. And it would kind of, the more I got to know her, I realized that it was just a slight tilt of the head. And I think, right, okay, maybe she's on the limit. But you still wouldn't know until the moment she has dropped. And it's been a few years since I've been able to drop her. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just a phenomenal athlete, definitely. I think luckily enough, we are slightly different that, um she would kind of be more of a climber than I would obviously we meet in the middle sometimes at different races but um usually I would be able to out sprint her thankfully you know that was my only kind of weapon against her because she was such a complete athlete other than that so um yeah I mean she was the best one of the best of our generation definitely so now that she retires, for every star retiring, there's new kids, new talents coming up. Uh, your teammate, Zoe Backstead, she won a medal at the World Championships. Now her younger sister wins a gold medal. What would be your advice to, to these young uh, women to like have a long and a, like a good career like you? Any, any words of wisdom you have or anything you, 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 you already did talk to Zoe, I believe? So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's about balance, I think, um, and sustaining. It depends how long you want to go on for. I mean, every athlete's different. I really love my job and want to continue as long as I can. Um, but I think sometimes you, you, well, you go through different periods, different seasons, don't you, and different uh, challenges prop up, prop up. But I think it's important to try and have a balance in life um, and not every athlete gets that right and not all the time but it's something that you should always strive to assess I think at the at end of every season have I reached my goals have they made me happy what else can I um, do next year um, and it's a continuous development I don't think you ever really You can never stop developing, it, I suppose. Um, so it's about always searching for where you can improve on and off the bike, I would say. 
I don't know. What about and, you? What what advice would you give her? Um, did you <clears throat> did you know when you wanted to retire, or did it happen to you? What do you mean? When I was a kid? Yeah, like when you when you were Zoe's age, did you think, oh, I want to continue until I'm this age, and therefore this is how I want to approach it, or were you just year by year? Well, I guess uh, I'm from East Germany, so I was still locked behind the Iron Curtain. So my career perspectives were like limited. I would be like a lifetime uh, amateur. But as long as, as soon as the wall uh, went up, I, I said, yeah, I, I want to turn pro and um, I want to give it my best shot to see if, you know, if, if I can make it there. I mean, my first year contract was a one-year contract for 17,200 euros per year before taxes. So by the end of... Yeah, I had a one-year deal for that money. So at the end of the year, I borrowed like a thousand or fifteen hundred euros for my parents. So I, by back then, my wife and me, um, well, back then we were not married, but uh, Stephanie and me, we had one child already. So I mean, I needed all the money to to uh, build up my place in France where I lived during the season. So, yeah, I I did took a risk, and what helped me was my wife said, "Look, if you believe in this and this is important, then do it." So I drove my little tiny car to southern France. She moved back into her parents' house with our son. And I, I lived with the other neo-professionals together in, in France. Fortunately, I had a good year. I, I won the first race for the team, so I had a better contract and the family could come and join me. But, um, yeah, I guess some of it is really you have to be in the right place at the right time. You work hard. You have to have talent. But you got to have a little bit of luck also every now and then, right, to be at the right moment at meet the right people yeah i had a i had a kind of a weird story about that um started racing big fan of greg lamond obviously bernard hino as well and when bernard hino retired at 32 uh on his 32nd birthday and i believe he's a scorpio and has a birthday in november as well uh same as myself I said when I was, I don't know, 15, 16, I said, I want to be a pro and I'm going to retire on my 32nd birthday. Well, I almost got that wish um, because when I got to be 32, I basically had no contract. I just came off some poor years and wound up actually at 32 signing with Yenzi at, at CSC and then having a, a big, big time rebirth of my career and really being able to get it all out. Mm -hmm. And that's, that would be my suggestion to anybody um, thinking about retirement is the moment you hang it up, it's, it's over. So you better make sure you leave it all out on the road. And I don't think it's a calendar year. I don't, it could be in the middle of the year. It could be in February, but like until you get that last drop of competitiveness out on the bike, um, you sh you should keep doing it when that's when that's over. And we had Andre Greipel come on, and he said something really good. He goes, "I I just see the fear. I hit the brakes. I don't take the risks, and all that is a accumulate you know accumulating in the background until one day, from one day to the next, it's like you know I I can't do this anymore. So that's what I would say uh, because yeah, you have people retiring at twenty seven, twenty eight. You know, we have guys that are still racing pro at, you know, in the, in their forties, uh, Marian Voss is still going very strong in what she's 34. So it, it's, it's, it's a tricky, tricky thing, but, um, outside of the Bagstedt sisters, 
Uh, you said some really nice things about your your 22-year-old teammate, Anna Henderson, during the World Championships. I think that's another natural progression that you that you seem to have that sense or that eye when you get older, looking at these young kids and being able to spot that talent and say, yes, this person's going to be you know better than this one or whatnot. Outside of Anna, um, who who do you see as those up and coming women that are going to soon be household names? Um, well, I think Elisa Balsamo, obviously, she just became world champion. Um, and to some people, they will, you know, maybe not know who she is, but I've seen the progression that she's made. Um, she's signed for Trek next year, which was obviously a great signing um, by our directors. And they saw what talent she has. I mean, she's done so much on the track. And I think it's often a good place to go and look for talent, the track, because as soon as those athletes who are able to perform at such a high level now in track cycling switch their focus to road, um, I think they have a fairly good chance of being able to you know, transfer it over to the road and be very successful. Um, so she's um, a great talent. Um, Pfeiffer Georgie, actually, um, she was on the British team and in a different way to being... Um, maybe seen as the next great talent. I think actually women's cycling is becoming more professional and becoming more like men's cycling. And I see her as the next great domestic. Um, and that's really valuable and unusual to find somebody who is so instinctual in Peloton. She didn't to always look behind her to know I was there and to ride with someone for the first time and have that kind of connection in a world championships is quite unusual. Um, and she just knew exactly what she needed to do and where she needed to be. And uh, that really stood out for me. And we'll be right back after this short break. Uh, you just talked about the fact that it might be a good idea to look at the track for talent. You have a very good track background, right? In um, hang on, I have it here. Uh, at the age of 16, you were vice world champion in scratch race juniors. So that's uh, you. You have you have you did spend some years on the track, right? I did. Yeah, that's where I started my career. So I was I was talent spotted in the UK. Um, I wasn't a cyclist at all. Um, and British Cycling came into my school and did these random tests on kids from like the sports lessons. Um, and they gave me a track bike and a track coach and said, we think you look like you have potential. And I'd never even heard of track cycling or the velodrome or whatever. And um, I took it up and yeah, quickly progressed. I think I was very lucky to start in a program like British Cycling because they had these expertise, you know, real coaches and um real scientific uh, research going on behind the scenes. And we were very much kind of professional, I would say, from the age of 15 up. You know, we were in such a good setup. Um, yeah. um, quick funny question, then Bobby, you can take over. When I went to the track the first time, like a proper indoor track with like, you know, uh, uh, the, the bends, the curves, I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going <laughs> to go up there. Well, how was your feeling? I was terrified. I was like, it's impossible to ride up there. It's got to defy the, the laws of physics. Like, I was terrified. How did you feel on your first day, 15 years old, on the track? Yeah, I was also petrified, really, really scared. But um, <laughs> I was even more scared when we got off the track. So we, a group of amateurs went on the track for the first time. And you know how you kind of hook your track bike up over the, the railings around the track? 
one of the girls who had just ridden around the track with me pulled her bike up to hook it over the over the, the fence and her front wheel fell out. <laughs> just like, oh, that is almost so good to be true, the story. Oh, yeah. wow. How lucky how was lucky she? Was she? Yeah. So <laughs> I was pretty scared on the track. Yeah. It's a scary place, but it teaches you how to ride a bike really well, you know, no brakes and yep. um, being in the peloton and stuff. Yeah, it's a good place to, to learn the craft. I think that's pretty cool. I kind of envisioned when when I heard that you were introduced um, to cycling via you know something to do with the British Cycling Talent Development Program. I thought it was somebody coming in and giving a real inspirational speech, but it sounds like you were just like in PE class or we call it PE uh, physical education class, and they're like, okay, everyone's going to do this test now, and you just happen to be good at it. Is that, is that what I picked up from what you just said? Yeah, that's absolutely it. I was basically just riding around with my girlfriends, wasn't interested at all. Um, I really thought cycling was a bit of a weird old man's sport, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and yeah, this, this lad that I'd known for years kind of teased me into a race and said, I bet you can't beat me, Lizzie. And I thought, all right, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And I did. And then the, then the people who were there saw me and said, oh, okay. She looks like she might have a bit of competitive spirit. And from there, I was, yeah, kind of on this pathway then. And do you remember the the protocol or was it just like get on the bike and go as fast as, as you can, as long as you can? Or was it some set like protocol? Because, I mean, this is what, 2004, 2005? Yeah. Um, it, you know, the whole British cycling wasn't at the, the dominant, you know, sport. it wasn't the dominant country that it is now. So, no, I mean, there was no marginal gains or any of that stuff. It was cones on a school field and uh, mountain bikes. And we were sprinting between cones. And then we were also doing an endurance test of like a, a couple of laps around the school field. It was very, very basic. Wow. And so so you talked, you know, you were exposed. You got into track cycling, progressed into road cycling obviously to the, to the highest level, having you on the podcast, you know, being such a, an elder statesman for women's cycling, I've heard a lot about the fact that women don't have an under 23 racing category. Do you feel having gone through what you've gone through the career that you've had, do you feel that that is something that the UCI should look into? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, when I started, when I jumped from junior to senior, the jump was not as big as it is now. Like every year, um, because of the way the sport is developing and becoming more professional, it's getting harder and harder. And the jump now between junior and senior is massive. And there needs to be a step. There needs to be a stepping stone because um, some girls are getting lost on that way up. Um, and we need to keep as many women in the sport as we can. Um, totally different uh, topic now. Um, your husband, he is your coach as well. Is that correct? He is, yes. Do you have certain points where you go, look, it's the first Saturday of the month. We do not talk cycling at all. Or you talk talking whenever you, you talk cycling whenever you want, coaching, 5311, tire <laughs> pressure. Or is there a certain ritual, like a certain system you have in, in, in place where you go, no. It's our Monday morning and we don't talk cycling. We go for a coffee shop in the town and we do not talk cycling. Do you have anything like that? Um, not really. I guess probably we 
we almost should have the opposite way. We should almost say, right, okay, Monday we need to talk cycling. Um, I think because our lives are so busy and full with our daughter as well, it's it's kind of just part of it. Um, I used to coach myself, mainly I think because I am quite uncoachable. Um, so it probably took somebody like my husband to be able to coach me. Um, yeah, I, I like the fact that he's been there and he's done it. Um, that's hugely valuable to me when I'm, you know, taking his advice. And it is, I mean, we work together on it. It's not just, you know, he would never say, Lizzie, you have to do this or whatever. Uh, we kind of, yeah, we communicate really well together. I, I realized for myself that, you know, I have six children. Every child born... I did touch the brakes a little earlier on a descent or in, in a, a, at like some, some stressful racing. Do you feel any of that effect now that you, you, you're a parent as well? And are you a little more careful or you completely go, no, this is racing. It's my job and everything else is out of my mind. I, I, because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fight it. I did start to break just a little bit earlier for every child uh, born more. Do you know, I think I've never been that crazy. <laughs> um, That's a good start. Yeah. So I've never been the person who would attack on a descent or whatever. You know, I, I can follow on a descent. I'm not going to lose the wheel in a descent, but I'm not going to be the person pushing it either. So, no, I haven't really changed. I was worried about it. The first race I did after having Ola, I thought, you know, have I still got it? Am I still going to be able to move through the peloton in the same way? And within 100 meters of the gun going i was completely on autopilot and fine again so no i, I haven't had that change luckily <laughs> i was going to say this is the final question but you said something there that i have to ask um you described yourself as being uncoachable what 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 do you mean by that because that that <laughs> i think we're all we're all uncoachable to some extent but i'm i'm curious to hear your definition um, I suppose I find the things I've struggled with in the past in terms of coaches are you need to have really good communication with a coach, I think, for it to be good, to, for it to work well. Um, and I'm just not a great communicator. Um, so it's great for me that my husband sees me and sees the fatigue in my face or, um, just knows me so well I think I've, I've struggled with that in the past with coaches that I didn't feel able to be totally honest with I guess and I'm stubborn and I think I know best <laughs> we we all are um there's no doubt about that but to, to to kind of wrap this up and let you get on with your evening um we have this American famous American football coach named Vince Lombardi. And he once said that winning isn't everything, but wanting to win is. I'm curious, from the start of your career till now, um, has that changed for you the way that you looked at what a victory is? Or are you still all about, you know, that top step of the podium? No, it has developed definitely over the over the years. I think um, I was very single-minded and very individual as a young rider um, because you have these these goals that are so important. But I actually, as I've gained experience and age and my own results, I really 
love being part of a team. And I think that is the most exciting, unique part of cycling that other sports potentially don't have the same grasp of an individual team sport. It's a, it's a funny, it's a funny dynamic, but I get so much enjoyment out of being part of a strong team. And I think that is the, one of the things that I would miss most about retirement, not being part of a team anymore, because it's, it's really special to be part of a group that's all dedicated to one goal. Um, and there's not so many professions where you have that kind of sacrifice and determination and um, selflessness. And that's what I really like now. Those were some good last words. I think we can wrap <laughs> it up. There were some wise words. I love that one. Yeah, I mean, it's special, isn't it, to be part of a team, it is. especially when it's a successful and, team. And now that Bobby and me, we both in retirement, that would be one of the first things we say we do miss, like the camaraderie, being with the team, having, just like you say, working in the same direction, trust each other, work together, and also sacrifice for each other. That's one of the things I miss. I miss the fitness, though, as well. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. That's why we're doing a podcast together, Yenzi. I miss yep. you, you know? I know. Old, we are actually uh, old teammates. We're actually soulmates. We have been twice in the same team. That's pretty nice, yeah. 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 How long have we known each other, Bobby? Since 98, right? Holy yeah. smokes. Wow. That is the last, uh, not only the last uh, 10, 20 years, this is the last millennium because we have 2000 <laughs> now. We know each other from the last millennium. That's a long time. Yeah, it is. But you're still going strong. I hope. <laughs> well, Lizzie, thank you so much. We'll let you get back to your daughter Orla and and let your husband Philip have his have his phone back. <laughs> so uh, we really appreciate you coming on, and all the best. Be safe there at, at Perru Bay, and cannot wait to to watch it on TV. Okay, cheers, guys. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, and a huge thanks to Lizzie for being our guest. Thanks a lot for listening and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor, Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance. And believe me when I say, that's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.